This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Arrivals and Departures edition. It's Friday, June 24th, 2016, and my name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the Edmonton Journal's opinion page editor, and my company today in the newsroom studio, a full house for the first segment. We've got city columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. Provincial affairs reporter Emma Graney. G'day. Reporter and digital producer Stuart Thompson. Hey. And I'm also happy to have with us for our first segment, Gary Lamphere, a business columnist here at the Journal. Hey, sir. I'd planned to build this episode around a draft day theme, being that today is really, it should be a national holiday, given that it's draft day for Drafting the NHL. What? Oh, Dra- NHL. NHL, national Sorry. hockey. <laughs> Good She's thing. from Australia. Good yeah. thing I didn't then. But given the stunning decision by Great Britain, voters to leave the European Union that we all woke up to, or I guess some of us went to bed to, depending on our sleep schedule, we're going to start with Brexit. There are global implications to Britain deciding to leave the EU. No state has ever left the European Union before. I wanted to ask all of you, first of all, about your reaction to this news, and if you're worried at all about potential implications for Alberta. Gary, do you want to kick it off? Sure. I was trying to think of what what the silver lining to this is, and I guess it's that the Fort McMurray wildfires have yet to reach the shores of Great Britain, so there's that. Um, (laughs) On the other hand, uh, in terms of global impact, uh, to be a little more serious, uh, the uh, British economy represents about 2% of global GDP and about 2.5% of Canadian trade. So just to contextualize it, it's not the end of the global economy as we know it. Yes, a very significant event. Lots of uncertainty in the EU and in Britain in particular going forward. Uh, probably a recession in the second half of this year in Britain, according to The Economist. But I think minimal impact longer term on Canada and hmm. on Alberta in particular. So you're not worried? I mean, the stock market's just tanked this yeah, uh, well, let's, let's put tank into perspective. Last August, we had a down day where the Dow fell more than 1,000 points. At the absolute worst overnight, it was down about 700 points. Right now, as we speak, it's down about 480. So yes, bad news, without a doubt. A lot of people are losing money today. I think I read something like $2 trillion of assets have been wiped off global markets overnight. A lot of dough. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't think this is the end of the bull market. I don't think it's the end of the recovery that we've seen since 2009. I think it's going to be a rough patch, particularly for the Brits and for EU. But I think over the course of the next six months, I think uh, they're going to work through some issues. And I think the recovery in North America is going to be fairly quick. So I like having you on the show. You always make me feel better when I'm feeling financial <laughs> doom and gloom. Generally speaking, you help me help me calm down a little bit. But By the ha- way, my wife thinks I'm delusional. So I'm not <laughs> sure if, if you want to buy that or not. Well, the, the rest of you, though, I mean, how are you, are you feeling as... Uh, I guess non-fussed about it as Gary? I was shocked. Yeah. I honestly, yeah, my husband and I stayed up watching it 
all unfold on a BBC World and we were just like, what is happening? Um, all my mates in England, uh, I, I've lived in England for a little while. Um, I have relatives over in England. I've obviously, part of me is English. More of you though is <laughs> UK-ish, yeah. Um, I was absolutely shocked with the whole thing. Uh, I don't think it's gonna have much of an impact on Alberta though. I mean, no. if you're gonna go on a vacation to you know, England, maybe now is the time to do it. But right. aside from that, I can't see any implications here. It's just for everyone over there though, I can't even imagine being in their shoes right now. I was a little surprised. Stuart, you have a little bit of a personal connection to, uh, to the UK? Yeah, well, I woke up to a very ill-tempered WhatsApp group conversation this morning <laughs> with my cousins and I think it was actually the first F-bombs ever dropped in that group because my mom's in it, so they try to keep it. Um, But it was interesting because they're all very young and educated people. So they were, um, you know, 100% Romaniacs. There was no believers in my family. Um, So when I was reading what they were saying, I was trying to put it in that context. Like Scotland went like 62% for Remain. And across England, it was a very different story. And I think there's maybe a broader story here. My cousin, and I don't endorse this message, but I think it's indicative of what people are saying and what they're thinking right now. He said, um, it, it sounds like English grandparents hate foreigners more than they love their grandchildren. And that is a very extreme way to put it. But I think there is, we saw this in the referendum in Scotland, that there was a real generational divide. There was a, a serious gap in the voting intentions between people under 30 and people older than that. So I think maybe we're seeing that in North America too, you know, with the Bernie Sanders thing in the States. Um, it, it might just be a passing thing, but it's something that I've been keeping my eye on. I was last in the UK about three years ago. And at the time, what really struck me was how much of the British service economy is dependent on labor from outside of the UK. Many, many, many people from Poland and Ukraine providing, uh, I mean, primarily Poland, doing all of of the trades, the customer service, you know, working in the healthcare system, the same kind of way that we fill those jobs here in Edmonton, primarily with with laborers from from Asia, primarily the Philippines. Now, I mean, we've had in Britain, they've had this free movement of people from the EU. So I think one of the great challenges they're going to face is there's going to be an exodus of of that kind of labor. There's going to be a shock effect that goes all through continental Europe because uh, ultra-nationalist right-wing groups all across Europe are cheering this decision. So there are exit movements brewing in France, in Germany, in Italy. Um, you know, all of these countries have the same kind of right-wing nativist factions who are frightened of immigration, who are particularly frightened of the migration from uh, from the Muslim Middle East, who are now using Britain's decision as justification to launch their own exits from the European Union. I think if we see the crumbling of the entire common market, it's going to be have a devastating impact potentially to the world economy. I mean, just Britain leaving, as Gary said, is not so much the issue. It's what happens if the rest of the EU fractures. Uh, And I think, you know, to speak to Stuart's point, um, Britain has traditionally had the lowest um, young voter turnout in all of the EU. Young British voters voted heavily to stay, but how many young British voters voted? And this is, we see what happens if you allow old people, people even older than me, to control the destiny of your country. And I think the message for young American voters should be a very stark one. 
because I've, I've been watching young people being interviewed saying, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't think my vote would matter. Well, guess what, kids? It does matter. So Aunt, Auntie Paula says, go and vote because if you don't vote, old people you despise will vote for you. And it, turnout was 40% for people under 24. Yeah. So it was pretty grim. Yeah, and so and it was, I mean, a close vote. It looks like at this point, based on what I just read online, it was 52% leave, 48% stay. So that's astonishing. No, we were just in the Baltics, actually. And just from the other side of the perspective, rather than the Britain leave, but um, of course, a lot of the, you know, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia have pretty recent entries into the EU in, in some cases. I remember speaking to a couple of guys um, in uh, Lithuania in particular. Of course, they just came out from... The, the Iron Curtain not that long ago and they see the EU as some kind of protective measure for them they mm. see it as a as a kind of security blanket because if you're in the EU Russia can't come out again and, and get you and we all know Russia's been buzzing the states you know in the Baltics and, and stuff right now and I suspect that in those places of the world there is going to be a lot uh, a lot of fear um, about what the future could hold for them if the EU does crumble, if the EU and that safety blanket they have disappears, yeah. Russia's right there, ready to take over again. Not yeah. to be too self-centered about all of this, but I, I'm just wondering, are there implications for Alberta, Gary, in terms of business, in terms of any number of things? I know the oil provincial government often I mean, talks oil. about trade. I mean, oil prices are down today in the wake of this. Right. You know, that's an important point. And there's also a flip side of that. Um, you know, British companies have now seen their eye, because of the currency decline in the pound today, uh, British companies that own oil assets in the North Sea who are shopping them around uh, are going to attract more bidders now, I think, from Canadian U.S. companies that are going to see a fire sale now uh, of those assets in, in uh, you know, U.K. currency terms. But uh, two things that I wanted to mention. One is that AIMCO, our big uh, pension fund here in Alberta, has assets in the UK. They own a third, I think, of London City Airport. They just did a deal a few months ago for that to the tune of around $700 million. I think that was their investment, really? along with two oh. other major pension funds. But they also did something smart. They announced that they were holding off on further property investment in the UK and in London in particular, the financial centre uh, of, of the EU, until the Brexit vote was in. So now, suddenly, a lot of property is going to be on sale in the city uh, as foreign uh, financial firms pull out, move their head offices back to Spain or France or wherever, and there's going to be a lot of property that's going to come available, and it's going to be cheaper than it, than it would have been three months ago. So smart move on AIMCO's part, I think. But the other thing I wanted to point out is we do have companies like Finning, which have operations there. ATCO, I think, has operations there. Energy companies have assets in the North Sea. So yes, there's a sprinkling of uh, companies that have exposure there, but it's also important to note that Alberta is the least exposed to Britain of any Canadian province. Oh, really? It's Ontario that is the most heavily exposed, largely because of financial services. All the big insurance and banks, insurance companies and banks, have arms in the UK, so they're the ones that are quaking right now. And also, big tech companies like CGI has a significant European EU slash UK exposure. So that's kind of where the the heat is being felt today. Hmm. Not so much in Alberta. But there are so many fish and chip shops here. I really thought. <laughs> You're right. That's an excellent point, actually. Here I I maybe, maybe more of them will move here. They'll expand <laughs> to, to a, we can to a more stable, a more stable location. Well, thank you, Gary, for joining us oh, on the podcast this morning to talk about this. We really appreciate your insight and your counterintuitive perspective. Which did cheer me up because I have to say I was one of those people who stayed up until midnight last night watching the news come in, and it does seem. You know, combined with the Trump thing, it just does seem, 
you know, like the four horsemen are saddling up. Well, I don't know if this is the appropriate transition then, but while we had, uh, you know, Great Britain looking to leave, here at home, we should move a little closer to back home. We are mostly an Alberta politics podcast. There's been an interesting potential entry onto the provincial politics scene. Jason Kenney. Is that who we're going to talk about, Sarah? Are we going to talk about Jason We Kenny? are going to talk about Jason Kenny. Jason Kenny was very active on Twitter. Uh, congratulating the people of Britain for their courageous choice in, uh, in leaving the EU and saying that, you know, Canada should congratulate them and rush to embrace them and that uh, retweeting Tony Clement saying this was a magnificent victory for democracy. So uh, Jason Kenney uh, was certainly very, very upfront and attacking Justin Trudeau for his previous uh, uh, concerns about the impact of a, a, Brex- a pro-Brexit vote. So um, that, I guess, is a major foreign policy statement from the guy we're about to talk about next. It was, It is indeed. So can you guys lay the groundwork for us a little bit? People in northern Alberta may not be as familiar with Jason Kenney as our counterparts down in Calgary. So tell me a little bit about this Calgary MP and why he suddenly matters in terms of potentially Alberta politics. Uh, well, Jason Kenney, I think, is an interesting guy. And it's hard right now to put your finger on the contrarian perspective in Alberta politics because with Jim Prentice, it was pretty easy. I wrote a piece called What's So Great About Jim Prentice Anyway? And it was that was the contrarian position on that. And I'm struggling right now. I might have to actually form a real opinion because people are all over the map on this. Um, but Jason Kenney, I think maybe the thing that uh, you can say about him is he's the hardest working politician maybe in Canada. Um, maybe the most devoted to the cause politician in Canada. And which cause is that? Uh, I would say you could name two causes. One is uh, the Conservative Party winning federally. Mm -hmm. And I think he's also associated with um, sort of the right-wing causes in Alberta, like the grassroots conservative causes. Um, And I don't know, I, I don't know well enough how well he's seen by those people, but he does seem to have a lot of support. Uh, yeah. on that side. I mean, we should we should provide the context to this. Yeah. Remember, remember, we talked about this last week. The rumor was that Jason Kenney was positioning himself to come here to unite the right. And we talked about that on the podcast last week when it was just a rumor. Right. This week, it's still just a rumor, but it's a rumor with many more sources, primarily Tom Flanagan from the University of Calgary, who we're, we'll remember was a mentor to Daniel Smith until they had a major falling out. And Flanagan has kind of been floating trial balloons that Jason Kenney is going to come here. Interestingly, not to take over the Wild Rose, which is, as Stuart says, probably where his ideology is aligned. I mean, he's certainly been active supporting Wild Rose folks. But the idea is that since the Wild Rose have a leader, he would take over the conservatives who are looking for a leader and then unite the two parties. So that's an interesting scenario, um, since I think Jason Kenney is certainly not beloved by the progressive conservative party establishment. He campaigned against them. Um, already some of their more, you know, more prominent members like Sandra Jansen are saying she would leave the party before she would belong to a party that would have Jason Kenney lead it. Jason Kenney is very much to the right of the conservative spectrum. He was one of the original snack pack reform MPs. He's very socially conservative on religious issues, on gay rights issues. Uh, he certainly is not the kind of centrist party that I think a lot of conservatives were looking for, somebody who could sort of sop up the Alberta Party, Liberal Party votes and attract people who are not as far left as the New Democrats, but, you know, are not as far right 
as the Wild Rose. If that's who you're looking for, Jason Kenney is not the guy you want to bring to the dance. Has there been much talk about this potential of Jason Kenney to enter the ring at the legislature, Emma? Or oh, is in it- the hallways. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's like... It's like when you give little kids a new toy, Uh you know, and they just chase it around and they're like, I love this bright, shiny thing. Ooh, and then making lots of calls. And there's lots of talk of Willie Awoni, Willie Awoni. Well, I haven't seen many quotes from him in particular. Well, and then you'll talk to party insiders and they'll be like, well, no, no, no. Uh, Wild Rose, for example. We are very strong. We have our leader. The message from them was kind of like, yeah, bring it if he wants to come. Mm-hmm. But we have a leader. So, yeah, good luck, Jason. Was that kind of a common theme? Was that all the Wild Rose MLAs <laughs> or all the Wild Rose people or a bit more or certain ones? That, that was certain ones. Certain ones, okay. Yeah, I don't okay. want to make a sweeping no, no, you know, okay. statement okay. there. I think that's a great point, though, because when you look at this, it I don't understand the logic here because right now we have, a. I think it's fair to say, a fairly unpopular government and there is a chance they can dig themselves out of that trench but the last poll i saw saw the wild rose at 34 and the ndp at 27 and i think people are talking about and the conservatives you know down down around with with your toe jam (laughs) yeah so (laughs) it seems odd to me that jason kenney would somehow win the leadership of the pc party and then he would say to the wild rose party i would like you to immolate yourselves and join me i'll be your new leader because so. that worked so well for prentice <laughs> yeah and prentice <laughs> had a lot of leverage at the time prentice looked like he was going to win the pc party doesn't look anything like it's going to win right now and jason kenny is about the only thing they have to, as close to a leadership candidate as you can think of and he's not even actually announced or even it's just all proxies talking about this so, so, I mean, so. here's what you can say about jason kenny i mean i don't agree with his politics he's a very very smart politician he's a smart man and a smart politician and as Stuart said a hard worker he was really the person who made possible stephen harper's inroads into ethnic communities uh when he was the minister sort of responsible for immigration and multiculturalism i mean he went out and ate more ethnic dinners than than any other politician right i mean he he did that kind of charm offensive to to tap in to a small c conservative uh i a small c conservative philosophy in a lot of ethnocultural communities uh, which is something that then of course the harbor government went and squandered in the last election after kenny had worked so hard to build up those relationships so you know the theory that our colleague don bridge from the calgary herald had this week is the way kenny could take over the conservative party is to win individual constituency associations to stack the boards of different riding associations and then when they go to their leadership thing which is not going to be done in an open vote but is done by the uh, delegates come right they've from, changed their yeah. voting system yeah. for party leader so the, fascinating. so you know uh, don offered a whole sort of blueprint for how jason kenny could arrange this hostile takeover of the conservative party but even then as stewart says so then you'd have you know it's like in the cat in the hat where you have thing one and thing two you'd have reform one and reform two and and what's the impetus for them to join, especially since I don't imagine that Brian Jean is really very chuffed that another one of his former uh, Harper Caucus colleagues is coming to push him out of his job. I mean, poor Brian Jean is the Rodney Dangerfield of Alberta <laughs> politics. He gets no respect, uh, riding high in the polls, his party doing well, and yet people 
you know, want to fire him and replace him with somebody who is more right wing. It, it, it It's just boggling to me can I just, why you want to move to the right when the voters are in the center. And can I just quickly add, I've been working on a story and talking to having long conversations with a lot of Wild Rose people. And of course, they're going to say Brian Jean's our guy. That's what you say if you're a politician right now, because he is the guy and there's nothing to be gained from going somewhere else. But I kind of do believe that he is their guy. And uh, as far as the caucus goes anyways, and a lot of them have been saying, or some of them have been saying, you know, Justin Trudeau united the left. And he didn't do that by merging with another party. He did it by convincing all those people on the left to vote for him instead of the other guys. And in our system, that's a pretty effective way to unite the right or unite the left is just by being the party people want to vote for. And I think maybe in the Wild Rose, there's kind of a sentiment that we could maybe do that. The polls show we could do that, and we're building something, and the NDP could be historically unpopular at election time, so maybe that's where we place our bets. Why would a federal politician like Kenny of his stature want to come into Alberta politics? Doesn't it seem like kind of trading down? Yeah, doesn't it though? <laughs> so I'm new to Alberta. And, 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 not, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but after you've played in the big sandbox of all of Canada and been a cabinet minister, uh, after you After benefit? you've been P.K. Supin, I mean, why would you want to leave Montreal for <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Oh, wait, that was a hockey reference. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and by the way, I absolutely think he should. I mean, Edmonton has a lot of charm. I think he should seriously consider it. <laughs> but yeah, as a newbie to Alberta, I don't get it. Like, I do not understand it all. Why you'd, why, why you'd come in and I, I'm quite willingly putting up my uh, my hand of ignorance here going, I do not get this at all. The whole thing is so weird to me, but it's fun to watch. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose the logic it is... Makes it interesting. I yeah. mean, Kenny is a very ambitious guy. Everybody knew that deep down he really wanted to be the next prime minister. He probably can't, in succession planning for the Conservative Party, be their guy because they just had a very right-wing politician from Alberta who proved unpopular with voters in the last election. So whether the federal conservatives want more of the same to double down and get, you know, uh, I don't want to say Stephen Harper light because actually I think Kenny is probably even more ideological than Stephen Harper. So, uh, although marginally more charming. Uh, So, you know, I think the logic is he's not going to get to be the leader of the Conservative Party. Even if he were the leader of the Conservative Party, uh, Justin Trudeau looks very popular and very strong right now. I mean, four years is a long time in politics, but I think the logic is that it would be easier for Jason Kenney, in his mind, to defeat Rachel Notley than to defeat Justin Trudeau. And there is something about Albertans and Alberta I mean, it's the reason I came back here is the reason Jim Prentice came back here. I mean, Jim Prentice also was a guy who could have been the next federal conservative leader who opted to leave a very nice job in a Toronto banking office to come and be shellacked by the Alberta voters. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I was totally wrong about Prentice. I came on this podcast and I said Jim Prentice would never run for the leadership of the Conservative Party. So I was wrong, de wrong, de wrong, wrong, wrong. So uh, far be it far <laughs> be it for me to say that Jason Kenney is not coming here to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party because my track record on this is very poor. I will I think- say it's not often Paula admits she's wrong. So I just like to <laughs> savor this moment yeah. just briefly. Everybody just save that clip. Wrong, de wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay. Can I All just right. say, I yes. think she's right about something in that... <laughs> I uh, <laughs> it. 
I think the homecoming thing is very appealing. And as Emma well knows, it's like LeBron going back to Cleveland to win a championship. Well, exactly. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) There's just something really appealing about that to go home. Basketball references. No, continue. Yes. You want to be the homecoming hero. And I, I think that is a very appealing prospect. And I think with Prentice also, the same with Jason Kenney, it dovetails very nicely with a federal strategy. So I think that's what these guys are thinking. It's long-term, but it's also, there's a sentimental part of it too. I guess we will have to wait and see what Jason Kenny actually does if he decides <laughs> to enter the PC leadership race or not. One thing we will not have to wait for, at least in some cases, is the sunshine list from some of Alberta's government agencies and various branches. Can you guys tell me a little bit about what happened in the last couple days on the Sunshine List front, and we'll make this a quick segment. Of course, yesterday, uh, CC, oh, so the finance minister, uh, he got up and was like, hey guys, so agency boards and commissions, you know how we were going to show you who was making more than $125,000 a year. Here you go. Not all of them, but like some of them. And um, they all have to be in by June 30. Oh, except those two in Fort McMurray who don't have to because fires. Right. Uh, so basically though, what they've done, it's, it's an it's a bizarre approach as someone who had to go through and try and f- fish figures out of that thing every single abc is is divided up by agency name board name commission name you have to go in and individually click on that one and it will take you to their website so then on their website you have to click on another link in some cases which will then take you to a list or a pdf or sometimes an excel sheet whatever they've decided to go with sometimes it will take you down and you have to kind of scroll through oh, I don't know, up to 20 pages um, of lists of people. In some cases, it's not organized in any way. In, in It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. So they Anyone didn't could put do it they into one big search no. database. No, 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 no. I wanna, uh, no, they no, did not. When I asked, uh, uh, that's a very good question. And so I, pho- it, I, yeah. I, I phoned Joe Cece's office and I said, why are you making us do this? And they said <laughs> it would have taken too much time and cost too much to make a database. Yes. And I said, we're saving so, money this way, guys. So we're going to have to make the database. And so I, I think Emma's husband is making the database. That's true. Right is. now, Yuri's yes. making the database sure for is. us. But the, the problem is, as Emma says, not only is the information, it's like a higgledy piggledy data dump. You can't tell what anything means. They've mixed in people who earn $125,000 plus with all of the people who get honoraria to serve on boards. Yeah, even people who, who literally get, get zero get nothing. are on the list. So, oh. so you know, you can Scar- see... But, but that's it was only supposed to be if you're making 125 Well, and if you're on a board. So if right. you're, oh, if, so if you're on... For boards. And so you okay. can't tell, like, yeah. if somebody's on a board and they're getting paid $20,000, does that mean that they're meeting four times a year, eight times a year, 12 times a year? So you've got no idea whether that's a reasonable amount of money. And some agencies, I have to say, Alberta Health Services whose data didn't go up online until this morning officially have a nice searchable database where you can rank them by you know most expensive first others it's by alphabetical others it's there seems to be no rhyme or reason to it at all and some people who are captured by this are not the sort of I mean, if you were looking to see who's making a five hundred thousand dollars so that you can get really mad do you really need to know that the guy who's the beekeeping instructor at grand prairie regional college makes this much money uh just barely makes a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar uh cut off if you include benefits and severance i mean there are lots of people on this list who are regular folk nurses 
university professors, college instructors whose names and personal information are on this list. And I think it's kind of creepy because it, it incites in people a certain kind of malicious envy, especially say, for example, you're a journalist mm-hmm. and you do not make $125,000. You do not make $100,000. You're probably never going to make $100,000, she said wistfully. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it makes me look and think perhaps I should be taking up beekeeping instead. Uh, you know, so so are we trying to find out if there's overpayment? Are we trying to find out how we're managing money? Are we trying to be transparent? Or are we trying to embarrass ordinary people? Uh, can I just say, we, yeah, we did a data journalism class in journalism school, and this is this is the major problem with how they presented this data, is it's completely unusable. And this is the huge problem when you deal with governments and data. They'll give you a PDF, and they'll tell you it's because we don't want you screwing around with the data. But then, of course, we're journalists, so we're going to put that data into usable form. So then they make us transcribe it from the PDF mm-hmm meaning there's way more opportunity for errors that way. So with the government doing this, they're really creating a problem for journalists and they're creating a problem for people who want actual good data. So, and just to Paula's point about nurses and stuff like that, the best Sunshine List story I've ever seen was in Ottawa where somebody did a a table, you can do a pivot table in Excel where you rank all the different professions. Mm -hmm. And then you can, after a few years of Sunshine Lists, you can say, what's the change over five years? What's the change over three years? And nurses were skyrocketing. Mm. And that's interesting. You don't know why, but you go and do some reporting and they found out that overtime among nurses was just going bananas in Ottawa. Mm. And that was because they were really understaffed. And a lot of these nurses were having a really hard time just doing their jobs. So those kind of stories, mm-hmm. that is not embarrassing anyone. Um, and I would hope the reporting would refrain yes. from doing that. So yeah. if, if you aggregate the information so that you do it by classes of people. Yeah, you don't need names. You don't need names. But now I can tell you, you know, the, the specific name of the specific nurse who made $172,000 mm-hmm. last year. Does that help anyone? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, don't know it's, that it, I don't know that it hurts. So I have to say, having lived in the U.S. where if you are paid by public, by taxpayer dollars... Mm-hmm there's no limit i mean it's all public information i don't i don't have a problem with some transparency on that front i think i think that's okay that's my personal opinion i, I would say though that this is not transparent i mean but to just that every agency was allowed to come up with its own system of reporting that every organization was allowed to come up with its own way of collating the data doesn't create transparency it creates the illusion of transparency behind a whole fog of it's, it, it becomes, what did I call it in my column today? Number soup. Hmm. The SAS party once said, oh, you want that report? It's up there on the internet. <laughs> and that kind of sums up this entire information drop, I feel. Yeah, go find it. Well, yeah. go find it. It's on the internet. <laughs> and we'll see how this evolves in coming weeks. Yeah. And we'll see once we do get an opportunity through some legwork to aggregate information, what information it holds. So thanks for that. We will wrap up with good stuff from the gallery. I have a feeling that sunshine lists are not on Paula's good stuff list. Would you Although like everybody to should us? everybody should certainly read my column on this subject because <laughs> um, uh, it's very. I guess we'll put up a link. No, 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 no. I was just going to say um, I've been on the website for the Economist pretty much all morning and it's all full of good articles so rather than suggesting any one article i'm just going to suggest that everybody go to www.economist.com and you will get all the brexit analysis that your brain can sustain very good emma would you like to yeah um i'm i'm not 
going to be at all creative here. Um, I read this morning um, BBC World's, uh, you know, everything you need to know about Brexit, and mm-hmm. it is awesome. It's laid out for idiots like me. So like, oh, it's it's kind of a Q&A. Well, what does that mean for UK um, passport holders who are working in Spain or in the EU? And it gives you an answer. It's it's fantastic read if you just want to kind of get a very good understanding, brief understanding of what this could mean. I'm going to be very parochial and come back close to home. I'm going to recommend a couple of different stories. I'll just put up links to the topic related to the uh, Wood Regional Municipality of Wood Buffalo uh, Council opting to give itself pay raises big pay raises in the wake of the wildfire now i'll say in fairness there are some reasons as to why they've done that and i saw some reasonable explanations but i think that as a political decision it's going to come back to haunt those local councillors in the next election i know some of the councillors have said they will not take those pay increases uh but i just think it's a good uh cautionary tales perhaps and choices for people to look at if you're a local politician i can't i don't know what they were thinking we'll stop there because i could go on Stuart. what would you like to add um well this is it's a trump story but it's a funny one this is mark Leibovich in the new york times magazine (laughs) he's really good and he's a he's a patriots fan and i still love him so he's done something really nice there um he uh wrote a piece called will trump swallow the the gop hole and it's kind of a profile of Reince Priebus, the party president, and it's just a really sad portrayal of this man's life right now and what he has to deal with. And it kind of goes into, you know, what will the effects of Trump be on the party, whether he wins or loses? Uh, and it's an enjoyable, fun read because he's a good writer. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Well, thank you all for those recommendations. That's it for this week. Paula, Stuart, Emma, and Gary earlier. Thank you so much for coming. And thanks to videographer Sean Butts for filming our conversation. We'll share segments online at edmontonjournal.com. You can hear previous episodes of the podcast. You can find them on our website, edmontonjournal.com, or through the Journal SoundCloud feed. The show is also on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. It loads automatically into there, doesn't it, Stuart, who helps me with all my technical difficulties (laughs) every week. (laughs) So it'll be there for you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week in the Press Gallery. 